0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And as Luke comes to read us uh, these fantastic passages of scripture, would you stand for the reading of the word? And as always, if you would, follow along in your copy of God's word together. Luke chapter 4, verse 17, through James chapter 5, verse 7. Luke, if you wouldn't mind reading those for us this morning.
1: So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. The, your rich have rotted and, the gar, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid down a tread Up a treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed the who mowed your fields, which you have kept back a fraud, back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Of hosts, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and mur- and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be be patient, therefore, brothers, until coming of the Lord.
0: Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these words. Would they still in our hearts and would we learn from them this morning? Teach us and guide us according to your way. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and you are our, our redeemer. And all God's people said, you may have a seat. Thank you, Luke. Very thankful this morning for our children continuing to lead us through the month of February. And the singing and the Bible reading and the praying. It blesses my heart richly to have such a thriving children's ministry here with so many talented and gifted students. This morning, we have a uh, heavy passage of scripture, as Luke just read, a lot of uh, weeping and howling for the miseries that are to come upon a people. Let me start by asking you a question. I don't know if you remember back in the day. Let's, Let's try to wind back the camera for a while. Back in your day, do you remember gathering the neighborhood kids together and playing school? Remember those days? You get a desk together and like a chalkboard and somebody is designated the teacher giving tests. Somebody is grading the tests. Somebody is giving prizes for how good or how bad the tests have gone. Did anybody, it was, anybody in this room, you were the teacher, right? You had that personality that you were the teacher. Anybody here have to go to detention a lot in, at home school? That was you. You were always in detention. Right? You, you remember those days of playing school. There was no grades that were realistically attached. Maybe some gummy bears were the only thing that you walked away with from play school. These had no real grades attached to it. It was just something you did at your house to play school. In many ways, what we have today is a passage about playing church. Playing church. See, James writes and he says, come now, you rich. The words that he's using, the language that he's using is saying to the rich in the midst of the congregation playing church. Not the believers, not the brothers, not those who are in fellowship, but those who are coming to church to play church. To dress the part, to sit in the pew in the part, but to just play the part and not have their lives transformed by the truth of what they're sitting in. Now, you get that because in verse 7 and all throughout the book of James, you see him say, be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient, those in the fellowship of believers. But here he says, come now, you rich. And so this morning, we see that James is writing, and commentators would lend to the reality that James is writing to those in the church who are playing church. Now, it would be easy for us this morning as we can in many other places and times as we come to scripture, to read these passages and to say, I'm not that rich. He's not talking about me, right? And instantaneously, we can begin thinking, there's a lot of other more wealthy people out there. He's not talking about me. Right? He's not talking about me, I'm not super rich, I'm not one of the super rich, I don't have a lot of funds and wealth, Mark, here's my bank account, look it's not that. This is our tendency in every part of scripture, not just rich and poverty, in every part of scripture, we have a tendency to look at it and say, this is for those other people. These are for those people who are far richer than I am. These are for those people who are far less humble than I am. These are for those people who are far more haughty than I am. These are for those people who are sinning far more than I am. And if they would get it together, I mean, I'm going to be all right. You know, I'm not, I'm not that rich. The reality is, for those of us in this room in America, we are some of the most affluent and wealthy people on the face of this planet. And so we need to be careful this morning when our tendency will be a defense mechanism to say, James isn't talking about me. James is talking about those people play in church. I'm in the church. I'm here on Sunday morning on President's Day weekend. Not talking about me. So this morning, I want to be careful with an obvious dosage of grace and love and care and compassion as we talk through the words. But we don't want these words to get neutered from the reality of the, the, the heaviness of what they are. So this morning, let's look at them. Let's examine them. Because after all, the Bible does talk in great detail about wealth and about riches. The Bible spends almost more time over the idea of wealth and money than almost any other topic in all of Scripture. And so there must be something to it. If Jesus would spend so much time talking about wealth and money and possessions, don't you think there's something attached to it? If James would spend so much time, if Paul would spend so much time talking about wealth and possessions, don't you think there's something to it? At the end of this, I think that we'll see in one concerted effort, James, Paul, and Jesus all holding up their hands saying, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. So this morning we asked the question, what happens when our Bible that we read meets the life that we live? What happens when the Bible meets our life? See, when we come to Bible fellowship and we study and we read, we come to sermons and we take good notes, and when we have all the information, what happens when the information we have about the Bible meets our practical day-to-day life? Which one wins? Does our way win or does the word win? Or does the word win? When it comes to wealth and possessions, does our way win or does the word win? When it comes to our sin, does our way win or does the word win? And this is the difficulty of the practical application. The studying of the Bible is not the hard part. The application of the Bible is the hardest part, right? We've seen that over the whole book of James. It's easy to study it. This has probably been the easiest book I've ever preached on because it's so simple and clear. The most difficult part of it is applying it to our day-to-day life. And so we come again to this simple passage, but one in which it's easy to deflect and to put up defense mechanisms and say that's for everybody else but for me. So this morning, let's look at number one on your outline. If you have your half sheet of paper, number one on your outline is the charge to the rich. Now this morning, I want us to see the concerted effort of the gospel writers to help us understand the book of James here. So we've read the book of James. You who are rich, weep and howl for the coming miseries. Your gold and your silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and you eat your flesh like fire. Real happy words this morning. You've laid up treasures in these last days. Behold the wages of the laborers and on and on. You've condemned and murdered the righteous and he does not resist you. You've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. If you turn over in your Bibles, and I would encourage you to do that, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The charge to the rich. And the question we need to ask this morning, is it a sin to be wealthy? Is it a sin to be rich? Again, in light of this country and the culture and the place that we live in, the affluence that we have and the opportunity for all sorts of things in our culture that we have, it's a very serious question that the Bible gives credence to. 1 Timothy chapter six, starting in verse 17, Paul writes this to Timothy: "As for the rich in this present age, though so it's clear there's rich in this present age, as the richness charge them. So this is the charge to the rich people in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty." Now again. I am so thankful that the cohesiveness of the Bible runs together. You see, what has James been talking about through these last few chapters? Haughtiness and pride. If I were to give you a word cloud and I said, rich, what are the words that you would associate with rich? One of the words that would come up is pride. So charge them, tell them, don't be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God. Don't set your hope on uncertain things, but on God who richly provides with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to share, thus storing up treasures. You see the word storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they can take hold of what is richly true in life. I'm convinced that this single thread is the most important one in Scripture and it is humility versus pride. Again, the rich, pride in their stuff, holding on to their richness, their riches. They're holding on to it, believing in the certainty of these things, holding on to it for dear life. But Paul would tell Timothy, don't set your hope on riches but on God. This is where our struggle comes in. How do we not let our finances be the source of our security? Look back a few passages before it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10. I think that Paul writes to Timothy to tell him how you do this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen closely. For we brought nothing into the world. Think for a moment how you were born. I doubt you remember it. But when you were born, you brought nothing in with you. And we can take nothing out of this world with us. We're not taking it in our casket. We're not pulling it behind on the U haul. We brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of this world. But if we, listen closely, verse 8 if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's a tough passage. And I think it's so tough that Paul would continue to write in Philippians chapter 4 how he's found the secret to doing this. You remember this famous passage, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For many years I thought that verse was about dunking a basketball. Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Do I not believe enough? Why am I not able to dunk the basketball? Why can I only touch the rim? Lord, I believe it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The verse as you see in the context of it's written, is about contentment. It's about being content in poverty and in wealth. It's about learning the secret of whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, being content in the face of those things. Paul's learned the secret. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in poverty, strengthened, in riches, strengthened. This is why Paul would spill so much ink about contentment because it's the anecdote to our greed and wealth controlling us. When we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Recall early on in life, um, we got married sitting down and doing a little budget of what it was going to cost to live. And I remember thinking, if we could just get this much money, we'll be okay. Right? Maybe you remember back in those days, early on in marriage, we say, if we could just get this much, I mean, we're going to be set. We'll be set for life. If we can just get this much. And what happens, you go through a little bit of life and you get a little bit more money and all of a sudden you look on your tiptoes and you think, you know what, that's great and all, but if I, could just get, if I could just get a little bit more, oh man, we would be set. Everything would be okay. All these problems would go away. If we could just get right here, everything would be okay. And I'm looking out in the room at some of you older, wiser, long-termers and you're smiling and grinning because you know, you know, if we could just get right above, if we could just get this, then we'll be okay. And it seems like every stage of life, if we say, if we can just get, can just get right here, then we'll finally be okay. Hey, if we can just get this house, oh, all of our problems will go away. If I can just get this car, everything will go away. If we can just get to this echelon of socioeconomic status, everything will get okay. If I can just get this job, if I can just get this Xbox, everything would then be okay. Extrapolate that out in every part of your life. If I can just get here. Then I'll be okay. And Paul would tell us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, contentment. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, listen, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's as if James, Jesus, and Paul are sitting there saying, Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. The money's not worth it. Don't do it. Hey, I've seen this story over and over again. Please don't do it. It's almost like they're tipping. Say, please don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Don't do it. Money's lying to you. Don't do it. It's like they're on their tippy toes saying, I know you're going to do it, but please don't do it. That's why 2,000 verses in scripture tell us about money and wealth. They're saying, please be careful. Don't do it like a lighthouse saying, if you keep coming this way, you're going to crash your ship amongst the rocks. Please don't do it. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. I mean, I I can't give any more credence than what Paul writes. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It seems that Paul has a better way. I've learned to be content in whatever situation the Lord has brought me to. There's something about watching HGTV that makes you feel like your house all of a sudden has fallen apart. There's something about visiting the car lot that all of a sudden makes you feel like your car is just not quite good enough. There's something about visiting a friend's house or playing with some of your friend's stuff that all of a sudden your stuff seems just not quite as good anymore. And we have to guard our hearts and our lives and recognize what the Lord has and what he has blessed us with. See, the Lord gives a better way all throughout scripture. Now keep talking about this. There's a better way than pride and it's humility. There's a better way than grumbling and it's thankfulness. There's a better way than unwholesome talk and it's building up. Now look at what James, or what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, this is the charge to you. What do you do? They're to, be, they're, they're to do good, to be rich in good works. The rich are to be rich in good works. They're to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves to take hold of life. You see, to the rich in this present age, it seems one of the ways in which we guard and deflect against this feeling of greed in our hearts is generosity. Being generous to give to other people, give to causes and things that the Lord would bless you and help you to see, not storing up on this earth where moth and corrosion and all sorts of things just don't have any value. I was reading a story this week about Danny Simpson. When he was 24 years old, he robbed a Canadian bank at gunpoint. Danny Simpson, this 24-year-old, robbing a bank at gunpoint for six years. Thousand dollars And Danny Simpson walked away with $6,000. It was a few days later that Danny was caught. And as they were going through the stuff, finding the money, they found that he robbed the bank with a 1914 uh, 45 caliber semiotic Matic Colt pistol worth $100,000. <laughs> Danny didn't know what he had in his hand. He forsook everything to rob a bank for $6,000, What what he held in his hand was worth $100,000. I don't think what we understand what we give up when we're in the pursuit of wealth and finances. We don't know what we have in our hands, the blessed good news gospel of Jesus. that is better than every rich, every dollar, everything that we could attain or achieve. So the charge to the rich, number two, the accusations of the rich are found in James chapter 5, 2 through 6. We're going to go through these very quickly. You see what it says that the accusations that James has against the rich is they laid up treasures on earth that were getting destroyed by moth and corrosion. The same thing that Jesus would say. Don't store up for these things treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy. They're laying up treasures where they're not investing in eternal things but investing in earthly things. They're mistreating and defrauding their workers. The accusations of the rich are not just that their stuff is corroding against them, but they're mistreating and abusing their workers to achieve wealth. But three, they're living in a self-indulgent and a selfish lifestyle. They're at the center of their world. And they're condemning and murdering the righteous person. As you look on your... Uh, Scripture, you see that the language that James uses is they fattened their hearts on the way to the slaughter. It's a pretty heavy word picture. As As a cow would be fattened for slaughter, those who are rich are fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter. The reality, brothers and sisters, is that wealth and money and possessions can be one of the greatest obstacles to our Christian discipleship. Our stuff can blind us from Christian discipleship and growth unlike almost anything else on this earth. We have to be careful. We have to be mindful. Again, it's easy for us to say this is for other people. I'm early on. I'm a poor college student or I, I don't have that much money. The easy thing for us to do would be discount all that James is saying. But we have to look at it with a crystal clarity to our own hearts. And the number three, quickly in your outline, is simply this, the simple encouragement to all. If we go back to James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, In no simple terms, whoever knows the right thing but fails to do it, for him it is sin. I can't think of a better definition of sin in all the Bible than what the Bible gives to be sin. When you know the right thing and you fail to do it. When you know the right thing but you fail to do it, it's sin. When you know the Lord has called you to be generous but you hold it back, it is sin. When you know you're called to be kind to somebody but you withhold it and you don't say anything, you keep it to yourself... It's sin. When you're called to go but you refuse to do it, it is sin. When you don't stand up for uh, injustice, it's sin. When we don't do the things that we know are right and from Scripture, the simplicity of it, it is sin. So in humility, with our stuff, we can either worship with our wealth or we can worship our Wealth. This morning, Jesus would add to this entire conversation in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and do not steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. What is your treasure and where is it? What is your treasure and where is it? It's a question only you can really personally answer. Maybe if I were to ask you, where's your treasure, you would pull up your bank account and say, well, here it is. Maybe your treasure is the lives that you've brought to Jesus. Maybe your treasure is the internal, eternal investment you've invested in countless other people. Maybe your treasure is walking the good life of faith. What is your treasure and where is it? As we prepare to go this morning, I want to take you to verse seven, and it's where we're going to end, and it's where we're going to pick up next week. You see, James write to the rich, and he said six verses about you condemned and murdered, and you fatten your day, fatten your heart for the day of slaughter, and then verse seven. Be patient. Be patient, therefore. When you see the word therefore? You look and see what it's there for. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in the church, be patient, believers, until the coming of the Lord. For those of us in this room, wealth-wise, it doesn't always work out the way that we think it will. Our wealth and our resources are not as huge as we would think they would be. Maybe we've gone through economic hardship or difficulty. Maybe we have been abused or we have been uh, mistreated by our bosses or whatnot. Maybe we've been taken advantage of in financial ways or whatnot. Be patient, therefore, my brothers. Learn to be content, whether in poverty or in wealth. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these words that are listed here from the book of James. It would be easy for any of us in this room to simply look at other people and say, you know, they're wealthier than I am and so this doesn't apply to me. Lord, I pray that we would walk away recognizing That there's something to this conversation about wealth and finances and resources and possessions. It's something that we can pierce ourselves with so many pangs if we're not careful. Even scripture tells us that many have wandered away from the faith in the pursuit of wealth. So Lord, help us see. Help us be content no matter the situation that we find ourselves in. Help us to be rich in good works. Help us to lay up treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy. Lord, thank you that you remind us we came into this world with nothing. And we'll walk out of this world with nothing. Teach us to number our days. that We can get a heartbeat of wisdom. That we would look to the eternal prize rather than the earthly goods. Help us, Lord, to be wise and walk in this way. In Jesus' name that we pray.